morning. Okay. <laughs> We're excited. We want to thank uh, Matt and Sarah for giving us the opportunity to sow into your lives. Um, it's just a pleasure and an honor. Uh, we live in Rockford. We've been married 28 years. We started with three children, naturally three girls. Their ages now are 23, 24, and 26. Wow, I got that. No, 26. Not yet. Next month. And then we adopted six children. Five of them came out of the foster care system. One was a private adoption. Their ages are 10, 12, 13, 13, 16, 17. All of them came out of the Grand Rapids area. Um, we also parent three others. Our oldest is one of the Lost Boys of Sudan. Um, we met him when he was 18. He came um, and was in a foster home for two years. At the end of the two years, they said it's time to leave. The Lord brought him into our life. He's now 32. He's been a part of our family ever since. We also um, have a daughter from the Congo. We met her when she was 13. She's now 23. Um, we have an incredible niece. She's with us today. She's been in and out of our house, in and out of our lives forever. Um, she lived with us during high school, so we consider her one of ours. That makes 12 total. Yes, there were many times I felt like the little old lady that lived in a shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do. But it's an exciting time. Um, we've been on an incredible adventure ever since with the Lord, and that's what we want to share with you today. Um, the title of our message is Love is a Verb. Not just any verb, but an action verb. So we're going to start uh, just in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the honor of speaking today. May our words not be our words, but they be your words. Yes, Lord. And may all the hearts here be open to hear the words of what love is. Uh, what you call love, and not what the world calls love. We just thank you and honor you with all that we say and do today. All right, um, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures, so if you don't need to, you know, turn every time, we'll just, uh, we have all the scriptures here. If you want to take the verses down, that's great. Otherwise, we'll just uh, go as quick as we can, because <laughs> we got a lot of stuff. Um, when God started talking to us about uh, what we were going to speak about today, uh, he brought us back to Joshua 4, which is uh, when Joshua, well, when the Israelites went across the River Jordan. And he made a memorial with 12 stones to remind the Israelites of what God had done to get them even that amazing walk across dry land at that point. And we want to use, uh, these are our memorial stones on what we're calling love and uh, how love has changed, um, how God has created love in our life in each step of our lives. So we have a memorial stone that we're going to present to you as we go through this. So first we want to talk about what love, the definition of love in the world. Then we're going to talk about God's love and what, what that looks like biblically. So Webster's defines love three ways. The first one, a feeling of strong and consistent or constant affection for a person. Second, attraction that includes sexual desire. The strong affection felt by people who have a romantic relationship. And the third, a person you love in a romantic way. So obviously there's a lot of touchy-feely in that. Um, and uh, we were 
this is the world's view of kind of being self-absorbed and uh, me-focused. And that's pretty much how we came to have our relationship. It was very, uh, we, we, we were very um, in love, but we didn't have uh, a relationship that started with God to start out, even though we were saved. We had our get out of, I almost said get out of jail free card, get out of hell free card. And um, we, uh, we weren't grounded in who Christ was in us. So if we, don't, we weren't grounded in that, we didn't know who we belonged to. The first five years of our marriage, um, we began to learn who God said we were. We were actually amazed how he was in our life and a part of our life and teaching us before we even knew that it was God. Um, he's such a good daddy. He knows when and what we need to learn, and he brings it about. Our first memory stone is our identity. Knowing who God says you are so the world won't define you is critical to living a victorious Christian life. When we minister to people, so often one of the things God brings to us is speak who I say that they are. Let them know who they are, who I think that they are. Um, When I look back to the various mistakes I've made in my life, most of them have to do with me not believing who God said that I am. Um, It's definitely a passion for us that young people know without a doubt who God says they are. Our children can rattle off various identity scriptures because we've sowed that into them. Um, They might not always behave like royalty, but we still tell them that they are. Uh, The word says that we are saints because of Jesus. I can guarantee you our family doesn't always walk in sainthood, um, but we still claim that scripture over our life because that's what God tells us to. Um, When I look at all of you, I see princes, I see uh, princesses, I see children of royalty. I see um, that you, each and every one of you, are a light to the world. You are victorious, you are overcomers. You are everything who God says you are, and he really wants to make that identity real in your life. There's a difference between how you behave, choices that you make, and who you are, so don't confuse the two. Um, During this stage, as our identity in Christ was growing, we began to understand the four different types of biblical love, Um, eros, filio, storge, and agape. Eros um, isn't specifically mentioned in the Bible, but you can read all about it in Song of Solomon. We naturally had three children in a three-year time period. So Eros being a sexual love, we obviously got that very well in our life. Um, The first few years of our marriage were quite difficult, actually. Um, The day after Harry's mom's funeral, um, I was just over five months pregnant with our oldest daughter, Alexis, Um, I went into preterm labor. It was at the hospital that the Lord gave me a vision. And the vision were these giant hands that I knew were his and this little tiny baby in the center of it. And then he spoke and said, Jeremiah 1.5, before you were born, I knew you. Um, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. It was that marking in my life that I knew God had this baby. It didn't matter what things looked like. It didn't matter what the doctors were telling me. I knew God was protecting her. 
Seven months later, got pregnant again. Same thing. Nine months after that, another. We had three little girls in three years. Um, yes, I kind of felt like a brood mare, for those of you who are horses. Uh, Eros, definitely, Eros love definitely worked well for us. Um, the other two pregnancies, I found myself, again, on, bread, on bed rest. So literally, um, out of the first three years, I had one entire year that I was in bed. Um, eating bonbons was quite exhausting. During that time period, though, having toddlers and being on bed rest can make life a little challenging. Um, but this is when God showed us another form of biblical love, and that's filio, the kind of love which can be expressed between friends, often called brotherly love. It's emotional. It's expressed through tenderness. We felt this love as people helped us, as people brought in meals, as people helped us with child care. You can't do a whole lot from a bedroom. Lay on your left side. Watch your two-year-old run across the room. Kind of challenging. Um, a biblical example of a brotherly love is the relationship between David and Jonathan. Um, the disciples' relationship with Jesus is another great example of phileo love. In a covenant family, through phileo, we help our brothers and sisters grow in Christ through progressive discipleship. That leads them to maturity, and it helps you grow as well. John 5.20 describes phileo. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. With this verse, you can literally picture a father tenderly and lovingly showing his son what to do and how to do it. This verse describes a progressive action of a father helping his son along. When we go places... I know um, how some of our, our kids may be uncomfortable meeting people. So I've role-played since they were little. Yes, it's probably to the point it drives them crazy now. But I'll say, what do you say when you meet somebody? What's a good response if somebody asks you this? And having them um, think ahead of time helps them and trains them. Um, when the girls were young, I actually had a, um, a lady tell me, um, your children are rude. My children are shy. You know, I had like three Klingons. My kids were just like hiding behind me and didn't, weren't comfortable talking to people. And when this lady said, that's, they're just rude, I thought, well, that's not very nice. <laughs> they're, you know, like I said, they're just shy. And then when I went to my girls and I sat them down and I said, you know, people think that you're rude when you don't say good morning, when you don't say how are you, when you don't respond to them, when they talk to you. And it was amazing because guess what? They started talking to people. Um, and then the more that I role-played, the more comfortable they got. During this stage, we grew in phileo love through action by actively having people involved in our lives and being involved in people's lives. It's kind of interesting because we did the role-playing coming into here. <laughs> <laughs> I think it worked well. Did everyone, did all my kids say hi? All right, good job, guys. The third Greek word for love is storge, which is more of a family love. It's an expression of a relationship of a mother and a father uh, towards their children. Like phileo, it is emotional and expressed through tenderness. It also is a vision for that child for what they are going to become and uh, what their ultimate goals in life are. So they're always leading them towards their 
ultimate goals in their life towards God, towards their careers, all that kind of thing. Uh, a good example of this is Romans 12.10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. During this season, as we grew in love, the most life-changing would have to be when we began understanding grace as more than just unmerited favor. For these five years, uh, or around these five years, uh, we moved to the west side of the state. We were originally from uh, the Detroit area. Actually, we moved a lot. I'm not even going to explain that. We moved uh, ten times in eight years, so we were crazy. So, uh, obviously, our uh, stone is the face of grace in this, uh, in this season of our lives. After understanding who we were, now is the time to understand his grace for us to see our Father in a whole new light, causing us to see who we belong to. There are two stories that brought me to see God's grace working in my life. The first one uh, was that when I understood what grace was, that it was bigger than all my fears. Um, when I was a child, and even when I first became a Christian, I had a, uh, a great fear of death. Um, I'd go to bed, and I'd imagine, okay, when I die, what would that look like? And once I started going that, I'd actually have panic attacks. When I was a child, I'd lay in bed and I'd try to distort myself like nobody's ever died like this or like <laughs> this. And I'd just imagine, try and imagine every kind of way so I would be comfortable with this fear that I had. Well, I, at the same time, I was, still, I was struggling with the um, idea of uh, uh, creationism and uh, evolution. And I was trying to piece those things together. And... I had this paradigm shift in my life when God, uh, or when, well, it was. My brother gave me some videos on a, a scientist who explained that Job's behemoth and, um, uh, what's the other one? I got it here. Behemoth and Leviathan were actually descriptions of dinosaurs. And he proved it scientifically how those could actually be dinosaurs. So what I discovered it in that was that God's, um, we're, as, a science, as scientists, we're trying to figure out what God has already created in this world. And science is catching up to God's knowledge. So I always thought, well, that's really cool. And that gave me comfort, and it gave me trust to know that what's in the Bible can be true. We just don't know how yet, because scientifically we haven't caught up to God, which is obvious. He always wants us to discover new things about him. So in that process, I learned to trust him intimately, intrinsically, beyond anything I could see or know physically. And in that process, it actually resolved my issue with my fear of death, which was surprising to me. I didn't think they were related, but they actually were, because once I trusted God and I knew that I knew where I was going to be after I died, I was going to be in the presence of God, which was awesome. So now I had all this trust that I was able to um, use for myself uh, to understand who he was. Now God could actually use us for his calling, and that's the second story I have. And this started when I was 12 years old. Um, I, had I had imagined what my life would be, and it was I was going to marry this gorgeous, beautiful, unbelievably sexy woman, Oh, there she is. And 
Um, I'd have three g- girls. Or not any, I didn't know I was going to have three girls, but I knew I was going to have three kids. I was going to have a house and a, and a great job. The only problem was I only saw until my life was 36 years old, which happened to be the year 2000. And I could never imagine anything beyond that. You know, I couldn't imagine having grandkids or anything like that. It was just 36, and it was just this dark darkness. Had no idea what was going to happen. And sure enough, as my uh, as I grew up, uh, my career went in a good direction. I got a good job. Uh, we bought our house in Rockford. Uh, married the most beautiful woman in the world. Sorry, guys. Um, and then I had three daughters. And here it is in the year 2000, and I got exactly what... God graced me with exactly what I wanted. And then God and I started having a conversation that year. He said, are you satisfied? And I said, yeah, I'm satisfied. I got everything I ever dreamed of. But then he kept asking me the same question. Are you satisfied? And I'm like, no. I, I, yeah, I think so. And then I started thinking more and more about it, and I realized that, yes, all the things I've dreamed of was what I, I got. God blessed me and graced me with everything I wanted. The only thing is I still did have a void in my life, and I didn't understand what that is. So I said, I guess there is something that I'm not satisfied about, Lord. And, and he said, well, I want you to start... From this point on, you have two decisions. You can continue on in your life as you've lived it and enjoy what I've blessed you with, or you can follow me. And I mean follow me where you don't know what's going to happen the next day. You're going to have to listen to me. You're going to have to see where I go. And you're going to have to walk with me. And when you do that, you have no idea what's going to happen from day to day. It could change in an instant. You just don't know. But that's, and I want to see, and I want you to know if you'll be satisfied with that. And so I had a decision to make. Well, cliffhanger, I think you know which way I went. With all these kids, I obviously didn't stop at three. Um, The thing is, is we did a lot of roller coaster rides. There was some great highs and some great lows. Obviously, bringing all these children in, having those newborn babies, it was just uh, a joy to be around. And then there's some difficult times with kids, obviously. Um, And we've gone through the ringer sometimes. But the thing that I found is God's grace has been through the whole thing. He has walked us through so many difficult times. And I can see his finger walking us through all of that. And I can tell you today that that has been the most satisfying part of my life. We learned how to be the hands and feet of Christ. We learned how to see people the way that he sees them. We learned how to love them the way that he loves them. We learned how to never give up on them because he never gives up on us. Learning that grace is his ability in us to allow us to be in Christ in all aspects of life so that out of us Christ flows. How many of you know when you squeeze an orange you get orange juice? When you squeeze a when you squeeze a Christian, you should see Jesus, Christian juice, <laughs> or, <laughs> or Jesus. <laughs> Apostle Paul prayed for us in Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, being rooted and established in love. Living in Christ is the key to freedom in our life. Paul said, 
in Romans 5.17, I glory in Christ. In Christ is used 160 times in the Bible. Probably a key point. I know I have to be told over and over again. Um, one of the most common and basic scriptures that you all probably know is Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Grace taught us how to not be a dead man walking, but to see ourselves as a new creation, to see ourselves the way that God sees us, to walk that out. Our identity in Christ, yours and mine, was given to us through adoption by our Heavenly Father. You all know our family was called to foster adopt. It was actually over 13 years ago. Our family grew from three children to eight children in 14 months. Um, How many of you know that's crazy, unless you know that you know it's God? (laughs) Yeah. Two years later, we were blessed with a beautiful baby girl. She was my 40th birthday present. Then in the middle, the three more amazing teenagers joined. We are blessed beyond words to be parents to God's gifts. God has an incredible calling for each of our children, and we are so excited for their future. We strongly feel adoption is absolutely the heart of our father. Adoption is absolutely the heart of our father. Acts 7.21 talks of Moses being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Galatians 4.5 says to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Ephesians 1.5, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. 2014, in the United States, more than 23 thousand young people aged out of the foster care system that means they weren't reunited with their families nor did they receive a forever family by being adopted they just got too old there are 3.3 million reports of violence on children putting 251,764 kids in foster care Out of that, over 23,000 were left hanging, basically. One in five of that number never, ever felt the security and safety of a family. They never received unconditional love from parents. They never received a forever home that they could always go back to. I don't know why I get emotional talking about this. I've rehearsed this many times. But you can see it's a compassion in my heart, and I know it's the Lord's. Statistics show that only half of these kids will have a job by the age of 24. Only 3% will earn a college degree. 71% of the young women will get pregnant by the age of 20 and repeat the cycle. And one in four will experience PTSD. Psalm 1014 says, you are the helper of the fatherless. Isaiah 117 tells us to defend the cause of the fatherless. My favorite is in Psalm 68.5. A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widow, is God in his holy dwelling. 
We know God called us to foster adopt because in John, 20, John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I remember vividly when our oldest girls reached the age when they didn't need a babysitter. We went out for the first time. It was like, woo, freedom. Of course, we went a mile from the house. We called three times and we were gone an hour and a half, but it nonetheless was freedom. (laughs) The next day, Harry came home and said, I think God's calling us to foster. I looked at him like he was crazy. I'm like, are you kidding? We just had one night of freedom. And he said, can we at least pray about it? I thought, well, can't really argue with that. So I thought, yeah, we, we can pray about it. So I got to be honest with you. We went to bed that night and he, he started praying and I just waited for his prayer to end because I knew my prayer was going to trumpet. And I, I remember the prayer very vividly. And I said to God, if this is what you called us to do, you're going to have to give me a sign that's like hitting me over the head with a frying pan. God, I need to see it in black and white. Otherwise, I don't want anything to do with it. Because I know our family, our family, we don't love people and let them go. Our family loves people and they're with us forever. So literally the next day, the next day, he came home from work and he's laughing and he takes the paper and he throws it on the island and, and at work, finding the paper, first of all, was rather difficult because everybody hogged it. I picked up the front page. I picked up, picked up the paper that he placed on the island. I opened up the front page of the Grand Rapids Press, read foster care in desperate need in western Michigan. He's like, is that black and white for you? <laughs> Be careful what you pray for. <laughs> so obviously uh, the name of this stone, memorial stone, is Fathering the Fatherless. This is a season where we really saw the fourth type of love, which is agape love. Uh, God's love, uh, godly Christian love, is giving to others those things that you would want them to give for yourself. And they give it despite the fact that they can't give it back or you can't get anything in return. And especially if they can't give you anything in return. Because that's ultimately what agape love is, is you're just in love because you're in love with somebody else and you have this thing that you want to give to other people. Christian love is respect and honoring of other people. In in fact, in the King James, the translators looked at agape love and they gave it two words. One was love, but the other one was charity. And charity is a great example of agape love because of its selfless giving or selfless and giving love. God's love is, of course, unselfish and unconditional. Now we know what is meant by Christian love. Now we know what we're striving for. Agape is best described in the relationship between God and Jesus. Jesus used this prayer for us in John seventeen twenty seven. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. So the father had agape love for his son, and in that, uh, Jesus' love for us 
was the same agape love he reflected from the Father. The, uh, another f very familiar verse is a demonstration of agape love too. For God so loved the world uh, that he gave his one... It doesn't sound familiar, does it, all of a sudden? <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Obviously, John 3.16. So God loved us to the point where he would separate himself from his son for us. And then uh, a final verse, which is the ultimate sign of love, is that he did it even when we didn't love him at all, which is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated this, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I learned what agape love was when we were deciding to adopt our first child, which was Elijah over here who's falling asleep in the corner. <laughs> Kidding. Um, we brought him home, and uh, he was only a few weeks old, and uh, the foster agent said, this is a permanent placement, which means we can adopt him after we go through all the process. So you need to decide by Friday whether you're going to adopt this child or not. Um, so I had a few days to um, decide. So I procrastinated, waiting until Thursday. And we're at the dinner table, and the girls and Kelly are all there, and they said, we got to take this baby out. We, want, we love this boy. And, you know, they're all gaga, goo goo. But at the same time, they said, you know, we're way too emotional about this. We need you to make the final decision on this. So we had um, three children that had just left the Tuesday before, and I felt in my heart they weren't going to a, a good home, and it, it broke my heart to know that they weren't going to a good home. So all, all of us, the girls didn't really know what was going on then, but I was very emotional, and I don't like to make decisions when I'm that emotional. So that's why you know, I said to him, you just have to make this call, because of course the girls all want a baby. And we had nothing for babies, nothing. We were expecting to get older children. We weren't expecting to get any infants. And Elijah was only five weeks old. So, yeah, um, the girls, of course, were very excited. And Kelly was not in a place to make a good decision, uh, which ultimately left it to me. Uh, and being the spiritual leader that I am, I started complaining about it, thinking... <laughs> Um, in fact, I'm, I'm at the uh, stove after dinner. I'm cleaning off the stove, and I'm going, I'm going to be 60 years old when this kid graduates from high school. I can just imagine I'm going to be out at a, one of his games, and somebody's going to go, is that your grandson? It's like, oh, gosh, I can't do this. And blah, 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 I keep going on all these reasons. Finally, I said, God, why do I want to adopt this child? Why do I want to bring him in this my family. He said, why should I have you in my kingdom? And, whoo! <laughs> so I had my spiritual spanking, and I slouched my shoulders and said, we're adopting uh, Elijah. And, of course, everyone erupted in joy, and I was kind of embarrassed <laughs> that I had to be spanked by God. But um, actually, it really... Uh, showed me what God meant by agape because he did accept me and even before I even knew him. So here I'm doing the same thing for this child who doesn't really know me. So it was a huge uh, eye-opener for me. When we learn agape through our understanding of God's love for us, it never gives up 
It never walks away. It gives sacrificially for good of those who we love and even the ones we aren't, who aren't loved. Agape is deliberate, consistent, and transparent. It does not change by the way we feel on any given day. It always seeks the good of those we are called to love, and it compels us towards action. Uh, Kelly uh, brought up some statistics. I'm going to bring up a, a little more about uh, uh, foster care. There's about 300,000 children in foster care system right now. And, uh, and of those 300,000, 100,000 are eligible to be adopted. And it takes uh, uh, one-third of them will be in the foster care system for three years before they become adopted. Now, the interesting thing is, is there's about 300,000 Christian churches in America. So if you put those two things together, that means if every church in America uh, responded to the community's need to first foster and then adopt two families in that church, all it would take for every, every church in America, if they did that, we wouldn't have a foster system we'd have our church would be taking care of what we've been called to do, which is take care of the widows and orphans. Do you think that could be a possibility in, in the U.S.? Yeah. Agape is described well in the song that I really enjoy. It's called One Thing Remains. How many of you know that song? Yeah, I love that song. Higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant in the trial and the change one thing remains your love never fails it never gives up it never runs out on me that's the heart of our father that's god's love for us it never fails it never gives up and it never runs out how can this become a reality in people's lives what if the church became the foster care system, by showing families agape love before they even lost their children. What if we came up alongside them and said, let me tell you who God says you are. Let me tell you how much he loves you. What if instead of having social workers point fingers and lay down rules that tear people down, what if a body of believers built them up by laying down a foundation that showed them how to parent using biblical love, how to have marriages that were based on God's standards, how to love their husband and wives? the way the Bible tells us to. We should have the best marriages. What difference could we make if we showed people the heart of our Father that way? Our last memory stone in growing deeper in love with our Father is intimacy. Intimacy in the Bible is best seen between Adam and Eve in the garden when they were naked and unashamed before the Lord. This is the intimacy that God wants with us. He created us to be in constant relationship with him. He created us to be intimate with him. Intimacy comes through surrendering everything, every aspect of life in complete surrenderance to our Father. Now, when you look at the word surrendering, it can kind of freak you out. It's not even really pleasant. The definition is cease resistance to an enemy or opponent. 
and submit to their authority. Now that sounds pleasant, doesn't it? Cease resistance to an enemy. But God's not an enemy. So surrendering to him is way easier. Surrendering to him means it's a time to die. It's a time to die to who you think you are to become who Jesus says you are. The reality of surrendering everything to God is walking intimately with him, which means discomfort can't, ha- can't happen to you because you have the ultimate comf- comforter in the Holy Spirit. We know if we walk without a shadow of a doubt in knowing who we are, then the actions of others can't phase us. If we walk so close with the Father that his approval is all that matters, then the opinions of others can't touch us. If only your Father, only our Father, holds our value and our worth, then people can't even offend you. If we told anybody and everybody we met about our best friend Jesus because we can't contain his love from coming out of us, think of the lives we can change for the kingdom. When I look at my problems and not my Jesus, I can be a wreck in the natural. I don't want to be a wreck, but I want to be wrecked by his love on a regular basis. If I'm wrecked by his love, then nothing can wreck me. If you're wrecked by the love of God, nothing can wreck you. The only way to live is to walk intimately with the one who created you. Be vulnerable. He knows everything about you anyway. Surrendering yourself completely to him, walking intimately with our Father, fills us with all types of his love so that his love pours out of us on a daily basis and reaches his people, which gives him glory, which is why we were created in the first place. So here are memorial stones. Identity, which is God knows who you are and wants to reveal that to you. The face of grace, God's powerful force within us to change other people's lives and our own lives. Fathering the fatherless, God's passion for his people, and intimacy, which is God's desire for us to know him as he, or for us to know him as he knows us. Uh, We want to conclude this story of love with God's last teaching on love. This last, uh, in the last chapter of John, Twenty-one uh, verses, fifteen through nineteen. I'm going to paraphrase from the complete Jewish Bible. The reason is how they use the word love. So, if you got your Bibles, you can follow along. But you'll notice that in that, the Bible always says love for every reference. Watch what I what what this conversation sounds like when I use this translation. It is after breakfast. Jesus said to Peter. Do you, Agape, love me more than these? He replied, Yes, Lord, you know I am your phileo friend. He said, to, he said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Peter, do you, Agape, love me? He replied, Yes, Lord, you know I am your phileo friend. Jesus said to him, Shepherd my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Peter, are you my phileo friend? Peter was hurt that he questioned him a third time. Are you my phileo friend? He, so Peter replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I'm your phileo friend. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Then it goes on, and Jesus describes how Peter's going to die. And the reason this is so important to Jesus, Jesus needed Simon Peter to understand how deep his love must be for Jesus and his sheep. He must love them to the point that this life didn't matter, that he would place every need of God's above his own, even to his last breath. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a sacrifice to God to do this. It would be actually... Simon Peter would love God so much, so intimately, so deeply, that nothing else mattered. So let's pray.